One of the themes of Christmas is waiting. We celebrate Advent, which is an anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. But waiting is, for most of us, pretty challenging. Are any of you, is anybody here good at waiting? I mean, does anybody enjoy waiting? What is wrong with you? (laughs) It's a peaceful time. Okay, we all... Are you ready for the sermon? Because I think you're you're way ahead of me, brother. For me, waiting is is challenging. Um, I have learned, though, even as as Henry has said, to see it more as a gift. And, And that's what I hope actually we discover today as we look through God's word, is to see that that waiting is truly something that God gives to us. But for the most part, when we go through seasons of waiting, it's challenging. I want you to think back, what has been your hardest season of waiting? Was it a long time in the desert of uncertainty? Maybe it was over an illness or a job or a relationship. Maybe you're waiting for provision. Maybe you're waiting for change. And it just seemed like nothing was ever going to change. Those kinds of seasons where waiting feels like you're alone in a desert are, are difficult. Sometimes waiting isn't necessarily incredibly long, but it is very intense. Maybe the season of waiting that comes to mind for you was a time that was so intense that it nearly overwhelmed you like a wave from the ocean. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's heavy. We wait and we wait for an answer, we wait for things to change. But oftentimes it seems like all we hear is either silence or doubt. That's the condition to a certain degree that Israel was in at the time of our our story where we're picking up in in Luke chapter 1. And that was certainly the condition of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had been waiting for a long time. And it seemed like they were waiting in silence. Well, today I'm going to give you a little gift. And so I'm going to pass these out, and uh, I want you to to keep these. I'm not going to explain what they mean necessarily until a little bit later in the service. Um, Henry, would you mind taking these upstairs for me? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, But I'm giving you... (laughs) I'm giving you earplugs, okay? So some of you, the first thing you're thinking of is, man, now I can really sleep during the message. This is great. If that's, if that's what you're thinking, you have my permission to go ahead and get them out, make sure they fit well, um, and, uh, and take a nice restful time in the Lord. But um, I want you to think about what these can mean, because what I hope is that this will be a simple little gift and little illustration you can use between now and Christmas that'll help you grow closer to the Lord. And we're going to come back to the, to the earplugs in just, in just a minute. But I want you to think again about times of waiting. For me, the hardest season of waiting was not one that was incredibly long, but it was a season of waiting that was truly overwhelming. My wife Becky was, was about six and a half m- months pregnant with our third child. And somehow she had gotten an infection. And that infection had settled into the amniotic fluid in her womb. And she began to have labor pains way too early. 
And she very quickly progressed into labor. And, and because of the infection, which was having an effect on her body, and because of her epilepsy, she also began to have seizure after seizure after seizure. And so she was in incredible danger of dying. Our child was in incredible danger of dying. And, and it was incredibly intense. It just was. And within a short period of time, uh, our son was born. And immediately they began to do CPR on him. They tried to revive him because he wasn't breathing. And when he did breathe, when they finally uh, opened up and, and allowed something to come in, he aspirated that same infection that was in the fluid. And, um, and it had a huge impact on his undeveloped lungs. And so within a very short period of time, I had a wife in one hospital, and 80 kilometers away in a neonatal intensive care unit, I had a son, and at home I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I didn't know where to be, because if I was with my wife, I felt I needed to be with my, my newborn son, who didn't even have a name yet, or to be with my children, and it was incredibly isolating. I felt overwhelmingly alone. And it was hard. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that intensity, God showed me more of his heart than at perhaps any other time in my life. And so what I can, what I can say, looking back, it was a good time. It was a learning time where I grew in my, grew in my relationship with the Lord in a way that probably nothing else could have accomplished. How about you? When you look back upon those seasons of waiting that were hard, whether it was a long period of time or very intense, did you learn something? Did you grow from it? I believe what we're going to discover here in our passage is that the season of waiting both for Israel and for Zechariah and Elizabeth they would say was more than worth it because the reward they received at the end was incredibly beautiful. Walking through times of, of waiting is difficult, but it is also waiting that proves our heart. I saw this quote yesterday that I thought was pretty good. Waiting is a sign of true love and patience. Anyone can say, I love you, but not everyone can wait and prove that it is true. That's important in any relationship, especially in our relationship with God. While we are waiting, God is working. Even if we cannot see what he is doing or hear his voice, he is working. And in our story that uh, Jim read for us from Luke chapter 1, we see both types of waiting, both a long period of time as well as a, an intense time of waiting are involved. Because what we need to see, and, and what you see in the graphic, what I've tried to do is you'll see the four chairs that are there that are just like a, a waiting room, and then there's a gap. Because in the story of the scripture, we have a, a gap of 400 years where God did not speak through a prophet in a way of proclaiming, thus says the Lord, until the account that we just read in Luke chapter 1, 
For 400 years, he hadn't spoken anything that was to all the people through a prophet and that was recorded. The last message that they received was through the prophet Malachi, and it had been 400 years before. I want you to turn and see what that last message was, because it's, it's what resonates in the heart of Zechariah that then we'll see be lived out, because it's what God was going to do. So turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will stumble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them either uh, with neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And now look at verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land uh, with a decree of utter destruction. So his promise is that a son of righteousness is going to rise. And what that means in, the, in prophetic words is it's pointing to the Messiah. That the Savior of Israel is going to come and he is going to shine like a light in the darkness. But before he comes, before the day of the Lord comes, he's going to send a prophet like Elijah. That's the last thing that the people of Israel had heard. And for 400 years, they were waiting to see if God was going to act or God was going to speak. And when he did, it was in direct fulfillment of the last thing he told them. For 400 years, and they were praying for God to send the one that would challenge their hearts, that would transform them. Incredibly important. Zechariah means God remembers and acts. It's been 400 years since he's spoken, but Zechariah the prophet is entering into the temple. He's going to burn incense, and just like his name, God remembers an axe. And what does he remember? He remembers Elizabeth, whose name means the promise of God. He remembers his promises. He remembers the things that he told the people of Israel um, that he would do. He remembers his word. And what does he do? He gives them a son who they are to name John, whose name means God gives grace. That's the message of John the Baptist. Because that's who he's going to become. God of grace to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God remembered his promise to his people and he acted by giving grace. Let's see it here in, in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. The first part I want you to see is that there is work in waiting. Waiting is, is not something that is inactive. There is work to be done. There are things that we are to act upon. And I want you to see the waiting of Zechariah. Zechariah, it, it says, was a priest... Um, and God says that he is righteous and blameless before him. 
in all of his ways. And so he was living up to everything that God had revealed to him to the best of the ability God was giving him. He was following the commandments. Both of Zechariah and of Elizabeth. That there clearly is nothing, that there clearly is nothing wrong in Zechariah or in Elizabeth. Modern, in the modern church, just like in the, in the days of old, people will, will talk about a prosperity gospel. That if God isn't blessing you else based upon what we've been given, God may have something greater in mind for them and do something different in and through them. And there's no way to equate prosperity with God's blessing. What God looks for is obedience. And that's exactly what Zechariah and Elizabeth were all about. Luke very carefully juxtaposes the righteousness of righteousness and Elizabeth with their infertility as a way of telling us that the inability to bear children was not a result of personal sin. And we need to resist the temptation of ever looking upon someone else because they don't have blank and think that maybe God is displeased with them. That is never, ever our place. And we may be missing it completely. Waiting does not mean God is not with us or for us. That's important for us to remember in our times of waiting. Because maybe today you're in a season of waiting. And all you seem to hear from God when you sit down, when you, when you try to read the word, all you seem to hear is silence. Or maybe the whispers of others who... <laughs> who you're comparing yourself to. Maybe that's where you are today. Our passage tells us that Zechariah was a priest and he was of the division of Abijah. Now, in, in Israel at that time, there were 24 divisions of priests and each division had 300 priests. So there were in Israel at that time 7,200 priests. And so they were on, unlike um, what we would have in a, in a church setting where you have a local um, pastor and staff and deacons and elders, they had a rotation of those who would serve in the church and it would continually, uh, or in the temple, excuse me, and it would continually change. And so the time for those who were of the division of Abijah would come and in, if, if things went very, very well, perhaps once in a lifetime, in fact, only once in a lifetime, would a priest be able to go into the, into the holy place of the temple and to burn incense before the Lord? Now, if those of you who are, who've been with us, if you remember our study of the tabernacle, the, the altar of incense was right in front of the curtain, and right behind the curtain was the Holy of Holies, where the mercy seat was, where the presence or Shekinah of God was dwelling. So for a priest to go in and just be on the other side of the curtain from where God's presence was manifest would have been an incredible privilege. He would have waited all of his life and it now says that he's advanced in years and it became his time, his opportunity to go and burn incense in the very presence of the Lord. He had been waiting all his life because that's as close as as he could ever get to the presence of God. Uh, Zechariah had to be incredibly excited about it. 
And he would have prepared his heart. And, and, and you get the sense in the scripture that not only was he excited about it and, and, and yet a little nervous, but all of his friends and family were as well because they're waiting for him to come out. And, and when they realize he doesn't come out right away, they begin to get a little concerned. They're nervous. Let's look at it in verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot. Uh, That means that they they would pull um, uh, names, basically, out of a jar. It was was markers out of a jar, and it would indicate who was to go in and to um, present the offering of incense. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. You see, when when he would go in there, he would be presenting the prayers of the people. He would be interceding for all of Israel. Can you imagine how much responsibility Zechariah felt at that moment? He was going in and he was prepared in his heart to pray before the Lord the thing that was most upon his heart, which was most needed... For the people of Israel. He would have been less concerned with himself. And more concerned with praying. That God would send the Messiah. This was the highest honor for a priest. And as close as he could get. To God's presence. Let's look at the next part. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, remember the prophecy of Malachi, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Again, this is from the prophet um, Malachi. Uh, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, prepared for Jesus. That's what the message of Gabriel the angel was to Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Can, Can you imagine hearing anything greater from the Lord than that? I've heard what you've prayed. It's been answered. That's what he heard. That would have been the greatest of all possible news. And remember, Zechariah was a righteous man. He was blameless. He kept all the commandments, but he also was just like you and me. He doubted the very thing God said to him. Look at the next verse. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent 
and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Zechariah asks, how shall I know this? In the, in the language of the New Testament, the little word know means more than just knowledge. It means how can I personally experience this because I'm already old and my wife is advanced in years. It means that he doubted and he needed reassurance. Our tendency is to look at, at this silence as a punishment. And I don't think it was. I think it was an answer to what he just asked. How shall I know this? God struck him mute where he wasn't able to speak. But that was not a punishment. It was a gift. When we look at it in the context of the, of the scripture, and, and you read right later on when they're, uh, after John is born, and they're on the eighth day at the ceremony where they're going to give him his official name, you discover that not only was Zechariah unable to speak, he must have also been deaf. Because it says that the, the people around him kept making signs to him to try to find out what the child's name would be. And Zechariah finally asks for a tablet and he writes on the tablet, his name is John. And from that moment when he wrote out in obedience to the vision that the Lord gave him, his name is John, he was then able to speak. And what he spoke is amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful proclamation of the greatness and glory of God and what he was doing. So for the whole period of time when Elizabeth was pregnant, Zechariah not only could not speak, he could not hear. And so the last message that would have been playing in his mind day after day, week after week, month after month, would have been the very message that the Lord had for him about his son, John. About who he was to be and the work he was to do. And when we read the, the blessing that Zechariah pronounces later on, you'll see coming out of his heart that the words that Gabriel had spoken to him had moved from his head to where he would acknowledge that these things are true to his heart to where they became experientially who he was. He experienced in that silence an intimacy with God that nothing else could have produced. Sometimes the thing you and I need most is not God to speak an answer, but to be still enough to listen to his silence, to listen to the things he has already spoken and allow them to move from our heads to our hearts. That's my prayer for us this Christmas. My prayer is that we will learn to be silent before the Lord. Because I believe it is in silence we will find immeasurable blessing. That's what Zechariah discovered. 
That pronouncement of not being able to speak, not being able to hear, was actually a blessing to him. Day after day, the promise that Gabriel had pronounced began to move from his head to his heart. The promise would have repeated itself in his thoughts, and day after day, it began to move into who he was to where he could fully believe it. For nine months, Zechariah could not speak and he could not hear, but he saw the promise grow in the womb of his wife. It was a blessing because the promise became a part of who Zechariah was and set the course for him to be the father he needed to be for John the Baptist. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest of all people born of flesh. Apart from himself, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, the greatest man ever to live. And the Lord used the working of Zechariah and of Elizabeth, their faithfulness to prepare him for his ministry. The scripture goes on to tell us that he spent all of his time in the wilderness. They were isolated. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, they spent their time pouring the scripture into him day after day. They were training him to fulfill his role. They saw that what God was calling to them to do as parents was to prepare John to become all that God had, pro had proclaimed he would be. I think Zechariah needed those nine months of silence, and so did Elizabeth. She finally had peace at home because her husband couldn't say anything. And so she, had, she was able to enjoy it all. My wife would probably enjoy that sometimes. He needed that time to be prepared to fulfill the role God was calling them to do. So there was blessing in the waiting. I want to encourage you to, to read through what Zechariah says in, in, in verses 67 through 79. I'm not going to read it all, but I want to read part of it for you. Because here's what happened. After he pronounced that the baby's name was John, verse 67 says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed, that means rescued, his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now understand, what he's saying there is important. He knew that his son, John, was not the Savior. He's saying that the Savior comes from the lineage not of Aaron, not the priestly line, but of David, where Jesus comes from. So he's very clear. He understands that John is a forerunner. The Savior would come from the line of David, Jesus. As he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And then he goes down in verse um, 76 to, to talk about his son, the things that the angel Gabriel had revealed to him. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. If you know the story of John the Baptist, that was his whole ministry. His whole ministry was to repent 
and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins to prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. That's, that's the whole message he preached over and over again. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, this also comes from Malachi and Isaiah, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our, faith, our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah, in those nine months, the word of God had become alive in him. And he pronounces a blessing upon the people and a blessing upon his son that is a fulfillment of God's purpose and plan. Zechariah's waiting was difficult. For 40 weeks, he waited in silence, unable to speak or hear. But his waiting was rewarded with far more than he asked for. When God asks you to wait, it is because he has more for you than you can possibly know. In a similar way, Elizabeth waited. I'm not going to take the time to, to expand this. I'm just going to hit the points here. Elizabeth was also righteous and walked blamelessly before the Lord. She was infertile and waited all of her life for a child. She would have seen the stares and heard the whispers of others who judged her. And yet she stayed obedient to the Lord and waited for his timing and his work. The waiting of God's people is there as well. For 400 years, Israel waited for God to speak again and fulfill the promise of Malachi 4, verses 2 through 6. Similar to how they had waited 400 years in Egypt in slavery for a deliverer before God sent them Moses and then prophesied that another would come like Moses again after 400 years he would send the true deliverer, Jesus Christ, to rescue all of humanity who placed their trust in him from their sin. God was not silent in the sense that he didn't say anything. He was not sleeping. But he was giving time for what he had already proclaimed to come to be. Here's the point of this. Faith requires Waiting, or it is not faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Waiting is both the essence of faith. If we do not wait, we do not really love. And faith is also the evidence of faith. If we do not wait, we do not really believe. Those are truths we need to allow to sink into our heart. That's what we discover in Hebrews 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, and the coming one will come, and it will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. These words could have been written of Zechariah and Elizabeth, because it's what they did. They proved their faith in their waiting. Waiting and faith go together. And so what I want to challenge us to do is to have a different perspective on waiting. To see it, even as Henry said, as a time of peace. To learn to accept waiting as a gift from God for our good. 
and to actively choose to wait for God, to live expectantly for God to work because there is a blessing in waiting. Blessing like this. Waiting reveals the condition of our heart. That's what happened in Zechariah. It revealed his doubts so that God could then speak into those doubts and move his belief from his head to his heart. Waiting builds up our courage to obey. So we see in, in Hebrews, the passage I just read, we are not to throw away our confidence, our courage. It has great reward. We are to choose to trust God in the waiting. Waiting reveals our weaknesses. It shows the areas of our life and our faith that God needs to strengthen. Waiting also transforms our character. It is in the silence that we remember the promises that God has already made. God always keeps his promises. The timing may not be the timing that you and I choose, but he is faithful to his word. And ultimately, here's the gift of waiting. Waiting builds intimacy with and dependence on God because God delights in those who wait. He takes pleasure in those who are willing to be still with him. Stillness is something incredibly difficult for us. It's, it's challenging. And yet that's exactly what God tells us to do. In Psalm 37, he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. He says that after he said to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you really want to grow in intimacy with God, it requires stillness. It requires waiting. It requires silence. But silence is hard for us. There's a laboratory in Minnesota that has created, I don't even know how to say this word, so I'm just going to say it really fast and pretend like I said it right, an anechoic chamber. Does anybody else want to say it right? Anyway, that's what, it's, that's what it is. Anechoic. Yeah, I have no idea how to pronounce that word. It's a special resume, uh, room designed to absorb sound and dampen background noise down to the negative decibel range. It's used to test the noise output of products. NASA has used it as, as a lab to help acclimate astronauts um, to the incessant quiet of space. And the room has been declared Earth's quietest place. And according to the, the founder, the longest anyone has been able to stay in the room is 45 minutes. Because it is so quiet, you hear the blood going through the veins of your body. Can you imagine that? that? That that is loud because it's so, so quiet. There is something overwhelming about true silence, about true stillness. And people in this particular room, if they stay too long, they begin to have hallucinations. But silence is powerful. And I want to point you to, to one. If you remember the, the story of Elijah... You remember that after he had fled from Jezebel, he was dis discouraged and depressed, and the Lord came and, and cared for him, and then appeared to him and spoke to him, and, 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 and there was a series of events that happened. Elijah was standing in the, in the cliff uh, of a rock, and an earthquake happened, and, and there was great noise, and there was fire that came down, and then it says, 
Um, most of our English translation says, and then there was the sound of a low whisper. That is an inaccurate translation because there's no way to translate the word correctly. The word literally means silence. But how do you translate the sound of silence? But that's what it was. When Elijah finally heard the silence, then he went out to wait for the Lord and the Lord then came and spoke to him. That's what the scripture means when it says, be still and know that I am God. In our world, the most difficult thing to do is to be still and to be silent. God gave us the great of all gifts in giving us his son. To carry them with you to set a time in your calendar where you're going to choose to just be still. I'll encourage you to prepare your heart by reading through Psalm 37 or Psalm 46.10. But choose not to have a big agenda, not to have necessarily a whole long list of things you want to pray, but choose to simply say, Lord, at this Christmas, I want to give you my stillness. I want to just wait in silence as an expression of love to you. Have you ever done that? It's one of the spiritual disciplines that, that really is, it will help you grow in your intimacy with the Lord. And so what I encourage you to do is set a time in your calendar on your, on your phone and then set a timer on your phone and just read through a, a couple verses. You'll see some things there in your bulletin. Read through some of those and then put in those earphones, earplugs, and just be silent. Just give to the Lord your stillness. And let that promise where it says, be still and know that he is God, begin to move from a verse that you have heard with your ears and that you know in your mind to becoming an experience that you connect with in your heart. That's what happened for Zechariah. And it transformed him. He waited in silence. Would you do that? Even if it's only a few moments. Even if you set your timer for three minutes. What I'd encourage you to do is to do it once a day between now and Christmas. And I, think, I believe that if you will simply do that as an offering of love to the Lord, you'll discover that this Christmas is one of the most special times of your life because God has drawn your heart close to himself. That's my challenge to you. Give God back your stillness and listen to him in the silence. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, would you help us to have the parts that you truly want us to, to know? Would you allow it to stick within us and begin to transform us? Oh, Lord, speak to our hearts and our minds this day. Lord, there are people here in this room that are in different stages of waiting. For some of them, it, it, it's been incredibly hard. And Lord, I just ask by your grace that you would visit them in a special way this Christmas season. That in the moments that they take as an offering of, of love to you, that they would be still. And Lord, they would, they would know your presence. 
Whether you speak to them in a way that they can hear or even truly understand is not nearly as important as that they connect their heart with you and discover that you are God, that you alone are God. Thank you. Lord Jesus, you are Christmas. You are the one who is coming to bring light into the darkness. You sent John to, be, uh, to run ahead to prepare the way, but you are the one that we welcome at Christmas. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Help us, Lord, to truly, truly recognize you as the Christ of Christmas this Advent season. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.